thank you for joining us on the PCICS podcast. This is the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. And before we start, um, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and how to enjoy updated information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. My name is Mary Taylor. I'm Chair of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi at Children's of Mississippi. I'm also a member of PCICS Connections Committee, and today I have the opportunity to interview um, Paul Kekia from um, Texas Children's Hospital, and he presented his work today um, at for the Anthony Chang Lecture. And the title of his lecture today was 10 Years Until Retirement and the 10 Myths to Disrupt. And it was a very great talk um, at the PCICS meeting. Um, and one thing I wanted to highlight is that Dr. Dave Wessel gave his introduction and mentioned that he has recently been awarded the role model for leadership at Baylor College of Medicine, so congratulations. Thank you. Um, I think one of the things that I got from your talk was also about the role modeling and mentorship, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but I wanted to highlight a few of the myths that you wanted to debunk or refute. Um, first one was the don't need a separate board certification for pediatric cardiac critical care. So what are your thoughts about that? So that's something that's been sort of on the, in the background for years, right? And I think we really do actually need a, mm -hmm. a subspecialty certification. Um, I think that the specialty now is mature, it's big, um, and it needs to have a foundation that really is based on sort of equality of expectations and competencies across the entire country. And I know that there are some business issues with it, there's some long-standing political issues with it, but um, in the end, there needs to be some way to say, this is what a cardiac intensivist mm -hmm. is, this is what they're supposed to know, and this is the way we're gonna test it. Right, so it sets some expectations and some guidelines for people. I think it's a little bit challenging given that people come into it from different fields. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I went strictly through critical care. I actually never did a fourth year, uh, mm -hmm. but that was back in the day when you can get away with that. Grandfathered. Uh, grandfathered in, yeah. <laughs> um, but still, I know that my experience is one thing, but I would want to be able to sit for some sort of a certification exam right. to know whether I actually know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think the certification examination is, I think, would be an important piece. Um, and I think that it also um, will help guide people in, in the future. And now it's more and more programs have this fourth year, and it's not really clear what that year encompasses. Yeah, some people it's just really an old-fashioned apprenticeship, right, mm -hmm. where it's like, well, just go take a whole bunch of call. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, what we do is a very strict curriculum. And that's because right. Ron Bronicky runs that piece of the of the enterprise. And, you know, he was one of the big voices for the certification to begin with. But there's clearly a curriculum. And there's so the, the spectrum is wide in between. Yeah. And we just have to narrow that down. And I think it would be helpful for all of us to that are involved to advocate with the board and yeah. to speak to our, our colleagues at the American Board of Pediatrics and, and advocate for that. Yeah. So I th that was one of my take-home points. Um, the other one that I thought was interesting was that older nurses are always better nurses. <laughs> so that myth is mainly just because um, 
really a nurse should be also have a, a standardization of expectations, mm -hmm. of curriculum, of expectations, of competencies. And it shouldn't actually be just based on age and how many nights you've been at the bedside. Yeah. Um, that's the way many nurses got it, mm -hmm. but we have to be able to achieve that even with the new grads mm -hmm. um, and take them through that process to get the skills, even if they don't get the years right off the bat. Right. Yeah, and being in a newer program in Mississippi, we um, have designated nurses who are specifically um, self-select more or less to be part of our cardiac ICU team, and then we have a specific training. I, I agree that I think some of our younger nurses are outstanding. Um, it's really more the passion for doing something and being dedicated to it and right. being specific. Do you have specific curriculum for your nurses that are new graduates? Yeah, we do, and we developed this thing we call the Heart University, or mm -hmm. Cardiac University. Um, and that is a curriculum that takes them through the first, it's, it's beyond just onboarding, mm -hmm. right? it's beyond the orientation. Um, and then now what we have to do though is that last piece of the puzzle is actually to get financial support to mm -hmm. say if you've gone through that you're going to get higher pay you're gonna right mm -hmm. because in the end we're losing spectacular nurses when they go away from the bedside we have to find a way to reward them for staying at the bedside for being the educators to be the educated mm -hmm. because if not we're just doing this every single year yeah retention is really it's huge really important yeah. because I do think you know the training is stressful for the bedside nurse who's their colleagues who are um, mentoring them yep. you know, so we need to build that, that group one thing I didn't bring up in the talk which we can also talk a little bit about is what about the role of having a nurse practitioner mm -hmm. as the bedside nurse mm -hmm. to train them, pay them, and be the bedside nurse. And they literally wouldn't have to call anybody because they've got that sort of mm -hmm. training. It just, it, I don't know whether that would take, but it would certainly mm -hmm. be a novel approach to say, we're actually giving you all these skills, mm -hmm. we're going to pay you like a, a nurse practitioner gets paid but you're going to be at the bedside. Um, do you all have residents that function in your cardiac ICU? We no, do we not. do. Yeah, we don't either. We do fellows, fourth years, um, fellows from other subspecialties too, like mm -hmm. cardiac anesthesia, um, but then and also cardiac surgery. They have to come through. Um, and then the nurse practitioners. Yeah, our nurse practitioners play a vital role yeah. with, on that side since we don't have residents on that side. Yeah. Um, the other myth that you mentioned was that rounds are necessary and should continue to exist. So there's some other topics here at the conference about rounding and importance around rounds. Yeah, and that was actually, the, that was to prompt that exact discussion to say, you know, what can we do about rounds that, that make it different? Um, and as I said in the talk, I, I readily admit I have rounds ADHD. I can't mm -hmm. stand rounding for a long period of time. Um, but there, it's vital to transfer information, to talk to families, but we have to figure out a way. This, this doesn't work anymore. Back in the day right. when you saw the attending one time during the day and only one time, yeah, that worked. Uh, now it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So we have to adapt to that. And I don't know what the solution is. I really don't. But it's worth taking a look at to figure out. We need to be more flexible in how we do rounds and see if we can come up with a better way to do it that also incorporates families. I know family-centered rounds is another piece that's kind of relatively new to our profession, including families. Do you all include families? Yeah, we do. And you know, that's the, actually I tried doing this last week uh, when I was on service. Um, just go stop by for no medical reason. We'd already talked about the plan mm -hmm. for the day with the family and just stop by the room because now they have, in our new tower, they have space for the family to always be in the room mm -hmm. and a little sleeping area and almost like a little apartment in the back. 
and uh, just sit down and chat. We have mentioned nothing to do with the child, mm-hmm. and just was like, so you know, where are you staying? When, you know, where are you from? Just like really basic stuff. Right. So much better, so much more bonding experience mm-hmm. than just running through the list of okay, so your post op yes. day two from a tet, you'll be going out this afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's like no, how about actual conversation? And I think that that's very helpful to families when it comes. You know, the, as you mentioned, one of the other myths that you wanted to refute is that rankings are the truth. Yeah. Well, I think in part of that discussion, you talked about errors defining a team, and I think that's very, very, very true. And I think families are more able to understand that when they know you, as you mentioned right. about the rounding, and they kind of be more accepting of this is just the facts that errors are going to happen. What do you um, what do you think about that? You you have the luxury of being in the place with the top ranking. So. Yeah, so that's why I said, well, you know, that's only a myth when we're not number one anymore. Um, but really, the rankings are. We know that basically the top half of the group, you can get spectacular mm-hmm. care regardless. Mm-hmm. And we also know that there honestly there are some surgeons and institutions that maybe do an operation just a little bit better than somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that there are people that know their way around a valve better than other people. Mm-hmm. Fine. But short of that, basically the care is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what we have to get past is thinking that this is punitive, that number one is better than number four. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side is there has to be some way to judge there has to be some way to advance the field to improve. There should be transparency. Um, but it's not all of it. it. Rankings are not everything. Instead, yeah. why don't we just look at, I would love to have the rankings, like I said, of the end result. Mm-hmm. You know, take 20 years and say, so right. how many of your patients actually made it through to, quote unquote, define it, uh, normal adult life? Mm-hmm. That should be the ranking. Yeah. I think we keeping our eye on what the ultimate goal is. The eye on the prize, absolutely. Yeah. And then one that I think is very, very um, important is that we're actually nice, caring people. Yeah. And I think, you know, we try to have a t- uh, zero tolerance for bad behavior. Yeah. You know, and what do you think, what are your thoughts about that? I, I think that's absolutely it. You know, that, that really it's, it's so funny when you read in some of the lay press um, in fact, it just came up today. There was um, Humans of New York. I follow that on mm-hmm. Facebook. And there was a blurb about a med student and basically how much he was being bullied and mm-hmm. how much it was like survival of the fittest mm-hmm. and this is what you have to do to become a doctor. And I'm like, we are the caring profession and yet we don't really care about each other. Right. Um, and yeah, there's zero tolerance, but that's going to be a long-standing road to mm-hmm. change the culture because the culture has been sort of inbred to be tough as nails and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the people who are the bad behavior, uh, mm-hmm. they're the sacred cows. Right. right. And I do think it. I think it's we really need to do a better job educating people that that is a safety issue. Absolutely. Because if a nurse or a student or a junior faculty person can't feel comfortable speaking to someone, it becomes a patient safety issue. Yeah. And, and we know that from, you know, the, there's that one famous airline accident where the captain was actually the head of their quality and safety program or something mm-hmm. like that and just completely ignored the, the first officer. It's like, I know better than you. And, and sure enough, it ended in 
a collision on the runway, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody has the answers. Everybody should be allowed to speak up. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, then we're basically cutting ourselves off at the knees because we're not getting everybody to be on on board with the Mm -hmm. same goal. Embracing the team approach Absolutely. is kind of a critical thing in our field. So that leads me to the three truths that you left with, um, you know, the importance of the team, the importance of the staff, and the relationships. Speak yeah. to that just for a second. Yeah, so um, it's funny. I never actually played organized team sport, um, yet team has always been something that has fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Just this, you know, if you come together as a group, you can accomplish so much more. Um so that's just so important. Actually, my son played, you know, organized team hockey and mm-hmm. loved it. And then, you know, he stopped. He's not going to college on a hockey scholarship. Mm-hmm. Nobody from Houston ever does. Um, mm-hmm. But yet the lessons learned say it's not only about you. It's shared. It's shared goals. It's shared failures. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I love that concept. Um, and that really then dovetails to all the rest, right? So mm-hmm. if you take care of your team, they're going to do the job. And it's sometimes hard to say that as physicians, it's like, no, the patient actually doesn't come first. Mm-hmm. The team comes first. Mm-hmm. The people around you come first. Because then I'm making an assumption, and I didn't say this in the talk, but I'm making an assumption that we don't hire so- sociopaths, right, that, that are mm-hmm. going to come to try to hurt patients. Yeah. So if that's the given, right. then you can actually have the team just flourish and do what that's they're supposed right. to do. Um, and then the relationships are, I think that's just it. I mean, I, uh, I value the friendships that I've made, mm-hmm. you included, over the years of not, uh, I'm, there are very few people we've actually worked with. We actually really don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know what kind of a true doctor I am at the bedside. And yet there's a relationship that's built over these meetings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the journey that we're on. And that should be the, the enjoyment the of the profession. Yeah, I think learning from each other and our mistakes or, or lessons learned across the, our careers, I think, is, is kind of a pivotal part and a pivotal thing about this meeting and this, this society, I think, too. Um, the mentorship that we give each other yep. and across the way. You mentioned mentorship in your talk. And, um, I think it's important to know that mentors are not necessarily always older people. That's right. And, and that's something that it's actually hard for people, I think, to really grasp because they seem to be taught to say, well, I'm supposed to look for some you know, gray-haired person that's supposed to be my mentor. And it's like, no, actually, your mentor could be the nurse mm-hmm. in the bed space next to you. That's right. Uh, it could be the respiratory therapist, whatever. And um, you get it because there's, um, like I said, a mutually enriching, mm-hmm. non-threatening, open relationship where everybody benefits. Yeah, I try to learn something every day. I ask somebody something about their job every day. Yep. And as you, as you mentioned, it might, might be the bedside nurse or the respiratory therapist or the perfusionist. I try to learn something from each of them because I think we all have something to learn. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Paul, for speaking to me, to, with me today. And we really enjoyed having you on our podcast. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. And please don't forget to look for other episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or subscribe to get the latest episodes um, as they are all released. Once again, find out more at